0: You know, those big investors um, that were in up, they knew about what was going on for sure. 100% they knew about it, but everyone was just so greedy. And frankly, the returns were so good that no one blew the whistle.
1: Welcome to What's Ethical, a podcast sponsored by Warburton Advisors, where thought leaders engage on how they influence others and master ethical dilemmas, all with the aim towards helping listeners deliver a triple bottom line. My guest is a leader in the tech space. Matt Kunkel is the CEO and co-founder of LogicGate, a platform that helps operationalize and automate regulatory risk and compliance programs. Matt has deep experience building tech solutions that are not just user friendly for your technology folks in your organization, but also for risk and compliance experts. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today, Matt.
0: Thanks for having me, Beth. Really looking forward to the chat.
1: Great. Let's get started with just a question for you. Everyone is currently struggling with the pandemic. And although we've done lots of pen testing and tabletop exercises and BCP runs, um, living it is really a different scenario. So maybe we could just start with advice that you have for compliance and risk officers operating remotely because of um, the virus right now?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice that I can give and that I see is around communication. And you just have to over-communicate, not only to your teams about what's going on, but other stakeholders within the organization, right? Whether that be your peer group or whether that be up to, you know the CEO and the board level people in there. So really, I think communication is key. And then two is I think it's empathy, right? You know, there's a lot of uncertainty that's going on right now, so we have to be empathetic to the different people on our team and really adjusting to the new norm uh, that we have right now and that we don't know how long it will be.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's that's so insightful because compliance officers are already challenged communicating because a lot of what they have to communicate is technical. Maybe it's not always good news. And now when when everyone is dealing with all different issues, it's, it's probably even more of an uphill battle. So the more that they can go into those soft skills, uh, whether it's empathy or just just really listening, I think they would be um, well served Yeah, We do a lot about behavioral incentives on this podcast and your answer about what to do during coronavirus really just sort of lends itself when you think about automation and operationalizing, which is really sort of your sweet spot. How should compliance officers use all their technology tools and keep this over communication in mind? What comes to mind are maybe some um, you know some of those behavioral incentives or what's the human's job um, versus what's the tech's job?
0: Yeah, great question. you know I think the big thing that people need to realize around tech is that it's still humans that are building the tech and it's still humans that need to um look at the data that's coming out of the tech. A big part of the tech is to make the human lives better such that they can spend more time on not just the mundane, traditional, uh, very easy, robotic, repetitive tasks, but actually spending time using the data that comes out of those tasks to make very strategic-oriented decisions as to how we drive the direction of the organization.
1: Yeah, interesting. And and when I think about good decision-making, I love the, your personal story about how you started your career as a management consultant uh, and a data analyst, and you studied the Madoff matter. It's still striking all these years later that regulators, service providers, investors, everyone missed his fraud. Do you mm-hmm. think it could happen again today, or do you think with the combination of knowing about behavioral incentives and, and using smart technology that we've moved past those risks?
0: Yeah, great question. I actually worked on the Madoff matter, right, to do all the fictitious profit analysis and, and, um, for the, the trustees in there. And I would say, you know, we've, we've definitely come a long way, but a lot of it's still too and similar to your podcast, it's around how ethical people are. You know, those big investors um, that were in made up, they knew about what was going on for sure, 100% they knew about it. But everyone was just so greedy. And frankly, the returns were so good that no one blew the whistle on what was going on there. I do think that there is much better regulatory oversight now than there was specifically within um, that sector of the financial world Um, and i think that there are now more uh, technology out there that lends itself to making sure that those type of ponzi schemes or when we think about kyc and know your customer or when we think about aml type activities there's a lot of technology out there that can really take the guesswork and the human element and the the mundane tracking of that out of play in there.
1: Interesting. It's what we call predictable surprises. As a compliance officer or risk officer, a lot of times when you see the scandals hit uh, the the news, if, if you interviewed some in the compliance or risk organization, they may have known about it as well. Either they didn't have the agency or the authority to do anything about it, Um, or it was a cultural systemic issue. Um, So so thank you. When I think about our audience and uh, the fact that they may be resource constrained, perhaps they were even before the latest pandemic, um, how would you advise them? What would your guidance be about making a successful pitch for resources whether it's just because it's a compliance and risk organization and they're constrained or because for the remainder of the year, budgets may be tight?
0: That's a great question. I think traditionally the entire ROI around regulatory risk and compliance work has all been on the bottom line, right? Which is asset protection and cost savings via efficiencies in here. So asset protections is things like Uh, No government fines, uh, limited number of data breaches, um, and then cost efficiencies around or cost savings around efficiencies are if we use technology, potentially we don't need five headcount, we can do it with three headcount in there. So I think those are definitely some very good ROI drivers, especially now as we enter into, you know, as we are um, entering into different phases of corona and budgets get really tight, it's we still need to get the same amount of work done, but potentially with less resources. So can we use technology to automate some of that resourcing um, and, and use the additional, or use the heads that we currently have to think about more strategic things? I think two, the big thing is where the industry is going. And where I see the industry going is, as I mentioned before, the whole industry, the ROI is based on the bottom line. How though can we use risk and compliance to have top-line revenue impacts in here. So not just bottom line, but give chief compliance officers, chief risk officers, general counsels, CISOs seats at the table to be able to talk to CFOs and CEOs around how risk and compliance can be used as revenue drivers, not just asset protection layers. There's, I think, two really big ways to do this. One is it's trust. It's being able to build trust with your customers that you have the right uh, especially now in this day of every the massive amounts of data sharing, the massive amounts of third party vendors that are used in organizations, we need to trust that we have the right programs in place to secure your data and the privacy around that. And then two is this concept of how, what we call risk intelligence which is using thousands and thousands of different risk vectors, risk data points, everything from an audit finding to the, the risk of a third party and how um, high that supplier is on your risk scale to uh, different servers that are in there to different frameworks that you have. And how do we use all of these? Map them to either core business units or core strategic objectives, and then run an algorithm on that to quantify and, priori- and, and prioritize risk. To put it in terms that CISOs, or sorry, that CFOs and CEOs understand, which is dollars and cents in business terms, and I really feel like that's where we can start moving the industry—not just having asset protection as our ROI, but having revenue generation as our ROI.
1: Thanks, Matt. I, uh, I've written a book. I think you probably already know that it's Triple Bottom yeah. Line Compliance. And as 25 years as a chief <coughs> compliance officer. I have found that, and others have as well, that you can use the stick or the scare tactics of um, risk mitigants and preventing these costs. But if you look at the success on the business development side uh, and the leaders in the business, they really really do it with the carrot or showing how they help grow or sustain the business, how they deliver value to clients. So um, we are definitely aligned on that. And when I think of LogicGate, does any of your functionality there focus, when you talk about operationalizing, uh, I just wanna get a sense of, have you been able to build in, I don't know if you use AI or machine learning, but have you used any of these incentives there that sort of help on the bottom line on business development?
0: Yeah, so we use incentives around, so we do a lot with RPA, right? So more more cost savings, revenue, um, doing more effective and efficient maintaining of these programs. But I think that where we help with our clients is really around those incentives that you think about around if you're a cloud hosting provider this day and age and you're not SOC compliant, you're not gonna be able to do business. So how can we get you SOC compliant very quickly using our technology? Or if you have government contracts, you probably need to be nist or or fed compliant how can we get you very quickly compliant to do that and it, it, really i think what we help is being that trust broker i think a lot of times risk and compliance folks within an organization they have a very tricky job right because they don't have a lot of authority but they need to convince people that these are the right things to do within an organization without having that authority around it. And that's really, I believe, one of the true signs of a leader in there. And it's also a true sign of that trust broker. And I think a lot of what we help organizations do is using technology to broker that trust in just a more effective, efficient, uh, meaningful way.
1: I like it. A trust broker. Uh, I may need uh, I may need to borrow that from you. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it really connotes a good image. And as you know, the chief compliance officers, at least in the U.S. and and in Europe as well. The role comes with it a level of personal liability. So as they're working through some of these challenges and these issues and partnering with the business so they're able to build trust, there's always in the background this conflict of interest, essentially, because At the same point that they want to be client-centric towards the business, they also are quasi-reporting to the government and to the regulators, so they have that personal liability. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about um, how you think CCOs can really manage that level of liability, Um, perhaps by using cross-functional approach with different stakeholders within an organization or anything else you think that the CCOs could leverage to manage that risk? yeah,
0: 100% and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there right It's a a CCO cannot do this job alone right their, their real jobs is to set the strategic vision, the planning the road mapping, the milestoneing and and making sure that we have that and then really it's driving and in conjunction with the CEO, uh, in, in really good organizations, driving that culture of compliance and risk down into the first lines of defense, right? Because that's where things actually happen. That's where um, negative or positive outcomes happen. And you have to have really strong leadership to do that, right? It's, it's, um, it's demonstrating that without uh, formal influence on there. How are you an influencer without formal authority in there? And how are you able to drive that culture of risk and compliance down into the first line of defense within an organization in there. So I think it it you hit the nail on the head when you said the cross-functionals, right? The CCO's job is really to get the first lines of the fence and all of the different business units on board with how we are compliant, why does it matter, and then you know the reporting and milestones, that's kind of that's where technology can come in and help enable. Some of those tasks that we have to do such that we can report out to the government regulators um, that we are that we do have these programs in place that we are following them in there. But really, I think more it's a it's a cultural aspect more than just a a functional aspect.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I uh, is there a story that comes to mind? You've helped a lot of different organizations over your career and and compliance and risk officers, can you can you share with us a story where you think um, someone did a, a really great job of being that leader without necessarily having a c- control and and demand kind of approach?
0: Yeah. So I'll give you a story. It's actually not anyone that I have helped stood up a program with. It's one of the. Um, it's a story that one of the board members that I have on my board currently, her name is a woman by the name of Emily Heath, who was at United Airlines and then now is at um, DocuSign. And she really, when I first met her, you know, was talking about kind of the Logic a concept and what we're doing here, she got very excited. And then we turned and we started talking and, and really around what amazing risk and compliance and security programs look like. And it was all about people and it was all about education, and it was all about um, <clears throat> the programs around empowering those first line, again, the business, the first lines of defense who have day jobs, right? The compliance is not their day job. Lots of times, it's, it's the operation of the business is their day job to do, and compliance is a complete afterthought. So how do we empower those people um, to think about compliance in a different way, right? To think about compliance in, hey, if you do this, you're helping drive top-line revenue within an organization. And she had great programs, multiple of which um, that she put into place at United and is now putting into place at DocuSign in here. But really the, the takeaway is it was all about the people. And then it was about using technology to make it very, very easy and simplistic for these first line of defense folks that have day jobs that are not around compliance to gather the information that we need to make strategic decisions on the program and obviously to show that we are in compliance with regulators, with internal auditors uh, and the board in there. So the story is is more just a, a personal story around leadership style and the, the people in which um, she had at those organizations.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's, um, I have been heard to say it needs to be as simple as a Google search when we talk about if you wanted to have employees complete required training or fill out code of ethics forms or AML controls, whatever they might be. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. This has been uh, very helpful.
0: Thanks, Beth. Really appreciate the time.
1: Learn more about delivering a triple bottom line by visiting warburtonadvisors.com. And remember to share and like this podcast so others can find it more easily.